Andrew Voisey of Soil Capital. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Good. So, for the podcast, just tell people who don't know what the very famous Soil Capital is all about. So, Soil Capital, by background, is a 10-year-old agronomy business focused on helping farmers to improve soil health and farm profitability. And we used to do that originally just through straightforward farm advice, maybe land management as well, around the world. Um, But now we've evolved our focus. We still do that through a separate entity and Soil Capital is focused on running what is now the the longest established carbon payment programme that's certified by an external standard for farmers in in Europe. Mm. Um, The whole thesis being that if farmers are going to take the risk of changing how they farm, changing their management practices, then the vast majority are going to need a new incentive, a new financial return for yeah. doing that. So to, to, the, to the financially less literate, what does that mean? What does that mean for the farmer? And what does it practically, what happens? So in practical terms, um, you know, farms as we know are every day emitting greenhouse gases yep. and adding carbon to their soil. So there's a yep. balance there. And we have built a system of, of monitoring and quantification and verification that looks at that overall greenhouse gas balance, mm. provides farmers with um, advice and, and um, guidance on how to improve it in an agronomically yep. and financially sensible way. And each year therefore generates um, certified units of improvement, yep. which are units that are bought by companies, and we'll obviously come on to talk about that, I'm sure, yeah. um, which, is, which is the transaction that generates the, the revenue incentive for yeah. the farmers. We've just been through, literally this week, um, June 2023, uh, our second verification and, and payment cycle. Yeah. How did that go? Very well. So we've, we've now issued uh, more than 150,000 tonnes of emissions reductions and removals. From about 400, 450 farmers yeah. in Western Europe. Um, Whose certification platform or which um, certification system are you? So we're, we use an ISO, one of the ISO yeah. standards, 14064. Yeah. Okay. And so we're independently audited by a, right. a German auditor called Tufkleinland. Um, and so on average, you know, farms. And these are farms that are between 200 and 300 hectares on average. Yep. Some that are far smaller, some that are far bigger. On average, they're taking home, you know, between uh, eight and 20,000 euros yeah, farm level. It's a, it's a significant, uh, it's a significant contribution to the P&L. It's not, you know, in the UK, obviously a lot of British farmers are thinking about the withdrawal of basic payments yeah, and yeah. so on. It's not a one in, one out. For that, no. um, but it's a meaningful incentive, nudge, contribution mm. as part of a broader yeah. sort of diversification play. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, one of the things we, we're talking about on or exploring on this podcast is the whole notion that this revolution in or this this new science base in ecology that is allowing us to farm differently and understand. Um, the possibility of a s- sort of symbiotic relationship between between um, uh, nature and farming, as opposed to a conflictual one, mm. um, 
will ultimately lead to a change through the whole supply chain because if you can grow things in a different way locally and you can process it locally, you can also feed people locally and have a much more resilient um, system than the one we've got with these big, long global supply chains and chemical dependencies and all of that. What, what, what are you seeing in, in, in the conversations you're having and the things that are happening on the ground with, in your sort of mm. landscape that you think is interesting with respect to that possible fundamental shift? Or is it all more of the same? You know, it's sort of big industrial farming with knobs on. Your phrase, not mine. My <laughs> phrase. You don't have to say that. <laughs> You've got clients. <laughs> no. no. We don't um, have to be nice to people. No, no, no that's, that's it's a really interesting question. I mean, it's, it's relevant to us very much because what I didn't explain earlier is that the way that we monetize these carbon improvements for farmers. Yeah. Right. You've got a you've got a choice in this sort of broad nebulous thing called the the voluntary carbon market. Yes. About whether you take farmers to an offsetting subsection of that market. In other words, people who are producing a shitload of emissions and looking for a compensation. Yeah, and, and those other organisations are completely un unrelated to, to the farming and yeah. food value chain. So there might be a cement company pushing CO2 into the atmosphere for or example, whatever it is. For example. Yeah. So there's that. So that's offsetting. That's offsetting. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, in our view, a much more, frankly, interesting but, but, but newer part of that carbon markets yep. tapestry is within the value chain, within the food and beverage sector. So that's insetting. It's what people describe as insetting. Um, and if you take it to a sort of more technical level, you know, those companies in, that, in, in, those, in those value chains have supply chain carbon footprints, scope three. Yep. And um, they're under increasing commercial pressure to find ways to reduce their scope three, which is often dominated by the farm level emissions. Yeah. Um, but not just reduce them, but do so in a verifiable, certifiable, robust way. And in a way that, you know, genuinely incentivizes and rewards the farmers for the effort they've taken to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's where we focus as a business. Right. So it's in that kind of context that I come back to your question. Now you've said the Long yeah. loop. Um, so we are seeing from the big, long, global value chains a rising kind of tide of interest in closing the loop and, and, and finding ways to yeah, quantify the added value that is created at farm level by farming in a regenerative yep. way. Um, and I think that's very positive and that's mm. a, it's, a, it's a, a role that we play is to sort of help accelerate that closing of the, of the loop. But then kind of, you know, we, we obviously get um, introduced into lots of different types and sizes of value chain. And, you know, one, yes. that, one that comes to mind when you're talking about much more local and shorter value chains is, is in the brewing um, yeah. world. Um, we're a Belgian headquartered business. Yeah. Um, Do they make beer in Famous Belgium? for its beer. <laughs> beer, and, beer and chips. Beer and chips and, yeah. A few other things they and do. Mayonnaise. That's, that's, the, that's the driving force of the economy. Yeah. Uh, you know, no jokes aside, of course, um, there's a very lively 
craft brewing yeah. sector in, in Belgium and some of those um, value chains are ones that we're plugged into and so there's very real activities that are happening where um, brewers of craft beer in mm. Belgium are now marketing to beer consumers the regenerative practices that are sort of certified mm. with a carbon impact that are happening through our through our program oh, interesting um, which is very good to see because it's kind of reconnecting yeah. us all. I, I hate the word consumers because we're all people at the end of the day. Um, Con- but, well, but I congratulate you on that. Yep, we share that drinkers, view. You know. we're, we're people, not units in somebody's supply chain. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. But it's reconnecting us all as people with, you know, where has this beer come from and what's gone into it, which mm. is something that very few of us honestly really think about. Yeah. You know, at Groundswell, probably a lot more of us think about it, but out, as soon as we leave here, people consuming beer will, will not think about the barley. How's it made? Where's it from? Where's it from? Exactly. What was the so I think this is really constructive and... and um, it's very powerful, isn't it? Because um, you know, it's one of those sectors of the economy that touches almost everybody. Even if you don't drink beer, maybe your partner does or someone in the family does. I mean, it's a sort of ubiquitous thing yeah. in the household. So that's Well, and if you think exciting. about culture as well, you know, in the UK, the pub yeah. has and, and hopefully still will play such a central role in communities. Yeah. And, and as you say, whether you're actually drinking beer or not, you, you, you're sort of bound by the local pub and, and the activities and the community. And of course, in the UK, a lot of the, a lot of the pubs are, are tied to their they're owned by the breweries, which yeah. means that if they're thinking about that on the beer, they're going to have to ask the obvious question about all the other products that they put on the shelf yeah. as well, which is exciting. I mean, there's a long way to go on this. I'm just kind of really thinking of inspirational beacons yeah, yeah. That, that are, that are I know, on it's our radar, question in, radar but, um, in the context of where you are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And if you look forward 20 years, um, you know, what do you see? What do you when you get a, when you think excitedly about the future, yeah. as opposed Depends to on miserably, your frame of mind, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So you know, on, on the optimistic on the day. days, yeah. on the good days, what what do you, what do you see as the landscape looking like? So I think there is now a context today, let alone in twenty years, where the food and beverage value chain understands that there's this climate and nature crisis where which matters to their business with what happens at farm level right at the epicenter of that both in terms of you know on average being part of the problem today but having this unique capability to be part of the solution yeah and there's a rising tide of awareness that you know problem problem and ah there's an there's a solution that is still tough to crack but it's within um, Mm. their orbit and so when I think ahead 20 years and sort of think about some of the early signals of the regulatory and other drivers that are forcing much more focus on the supply chain and how it Mm. brings forward solutions to these kinds of mega challenges what I what I would love to see what we at Soil Capital would love to see is a much better appreciation of the value that is created by farmers farming in a regenerative way, not just within the value chain, but for society more broadly. And a, you know, a euro and cents, a, a pound and pence value being put on that 
so that these, you know, what economists call externalities are brought back in Inside the on, on the P&L. And um, frankly, we as, as people in society <laughs> um, are part of putting a better value on that. Yeah. Um, and so I'd, I'd love to see in 20 years, and, I, and I, it's by no means a guarantee today, because I think there's lots of different ways this can play out. But I would love to see a food and beverage system that has educated its customers and evolved policy and evolved market practice so that we're all placing that better value mm. and pushing that value back to farmers in a way that makes sense to everyone. You know, it's not a sort of cost of food crisis, but it's about valuing food production in a better way so that we don't pay for it through national health budgets over there and cleaning up water over there and you know which we're all paying for today anyway just through separate parts of our just household budgets. Yeah. So that's what I that's what we're kind of really motivated by mm. as a as a team. Love it. Andrew, thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. <laughs>